This is Radio Maria and a very warm welcome this afternoon, Tuesday the 30th of August 2022. It's just gone four o'clock and that means it's time for our catechesis slot. And today we're very happy and privileged to be joined once more by Derek Williams, who has begun last week, I believe, his biblical series on the covenant. And today... The topic will be creation. Derek, can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear, Eddie. Am I coming through loud and clear? Yes, clear as a bell. It's lovely to have you back again. I really enjoyed last week's talk. And uh, very, Thanks much very much looking forward to uh, hearing what you have to say to our lovely dear listeners on today's topic, which is creation. So I'll let you talk away i hand over the airwaves to you and the listeners and then in about 15 minutes or so we take a little music break and then open up the the phone lines for our listeners to call in if they'd like to ask any questions superb thank you very much eddie and thank you to radio maria for allowing me to give these teachings so listeners if you ever wanted to follow this in your own bibles for the next um few weeks we're going to be systematically walking from Genesis chapter 1 forwards. So it could be very easy to follow this if you ever wanted to grab hold of a Bible. Just open it up on Genesis chapter 1, the very first book of your Bible, um, and uh, and you can just walk with me. So the Bible begins, the famous words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. Now, the Bible is essentially about the revelation of God, and God reveals himself in a Trinitarian sense in these first two sentences. So let's take a look at what's going on here, and then we can move forward from there. So the word in the beginning in the Hebrew language is Bereshith. So don't forget this Old Testament that I'm reading from was first written in Hebrew and it comes to us in the Hebrew language and is translated to English which is why we have many translations. So the first word is Bereshith which obviously translates as in the beginning and in, that, in fact on that point in the Jewish Bible this isn't called the book of Genesis it's called Bereshith because every, every book in the Bible in the Jewish translation is named after the first word. So Bereshith in the Jewish Bible. Um, the word in the the phrase in the beginning. If you were to go to the back of the Bible, the Book of Revelation, you'd find Jesus revealing himself to Saint John the Apostle, and he says, "I am the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega." So, what you could actually translate, how you, you could actually read this as, "In Jesus, God created." the heavens and the earth. In Jesus, God the Father created heavens and the earth. And in fact, St. Paul, in his letter to Colossians, does say, in him, as in in Christ, all things were created in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Okay? So we have there in that first sentence, a revelation of the Son, a revelation of the Father. And then in the second line, we have this word, the Spirit of God, now, the Spirit of God is often translated in a multitude of ways. Sometimes it's translated as divine breath or something like that. But the original Hebrew is Ruach Elohim. So Ruach is translated usually as wind, spirit, or breath. And Elohim is God. But the interesting thing is, the word Elohim is plural. Any Hebrew word with an I-M at the end is a plural word so it's almost like the, the the word of god is inspired in the sense of um revealing to us that there's a plurality within the word god and yes this is a hebrew word so it does cause a touch of confusion for our jewish brothers and sisters that god who is el not just is el is singular elohim is plural that God reveals himself as a plurality. And you have this, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, hovering over the face of the waters. So in the writings of St. Augustine, he talks about the revelation of the Trinity in the first two, first two sentences of the book of Genesis. 
Then what does God say? What's his first words? Because God's first words got to be important. Um, we know, let there be light. In the Hebrew, it's vayhi or. Um, it's not so much let there be light. It's more of a directive, be light. So there's not a, it's not like with, with let there be light. It's almost like God is asking their permission for there to be light. But actually, he's, direct, he's specifically directing into creation his word. And there was light. God saw the light was good. And then God separated the light from the darkness. Now, it says God called the light day and the darkness he called night. But let's take a look at this. Um, first of all, what is God saying when, let, when he says let there be light? He's not creating the sun. Because if you, you have on in Genesis 1, for God to, for him, for the, the sun to be created, the, it's in verse, let's see, verses 14 onwards, where God creates the sun, the moon, and the stars. In Genesis 1 verse 3, there's, a, there's, there's several things going on. One of them is a self-revelation of God into his creation. So God is light, and he's bringing about a self-revelation. It's, it, it's right to be at the beginning of Genesis. If you were to read the Gospel of John, you get to John chapter 2, the wedding feast of Cana, and it concludes... He revealed his glory, and his disciples began to believe in him. So God has to reveal himself to his creatures in order for him to, as it were, begin a process of work, begin a process of working with us and through us. So here he reveals himself. However, there is also another way of translating. So don't forget, there's lots of different ways of interpreting sacred scripture. And St. Augustine, talks about the creation of the angels right at the beginning of creation and he talks about how God created the good angels and then the bad angels decided to turn away from God led by Lucifer and God had to separate the light from the darkness and where did he separate where did the bad angels fall they fell down to earth. Many people say they went to hell. They didn't. They're still roaming on the earth. But we're going to look at that in a bit because that's very important to understand that the fall of the angels happened right at the dawn of creation because it comes into play in a couple of chapters. Now, it says God called the, the night, the light day. The Hebrew word is yom. Okay. And the word yom can have many translations, one of which is eternity. So if we just have a little tweak of the scriptures here, God called the light eternity. And we will spend our, eternity, our eternal life living in eternal light. So when you draw on different ways of interpreting words in scriptures, it can shed a lot of light on what God is, is trying to communicate to us. One of which is that God is creating, he doesn't create death. He only creates life. Now, moving on, we have in, we have, I'm going to summarize a few of the verses here because um, I don't want to go into great detail in every verse. So on day one, God creates light. On day four, he places the, creates the light to go in the sky. So he fills the firmament with the light. On day two, he creates the dome in the middle of the waters. On day five, he causes living creatures to teem in the water. So he populates the waters. On day three, he brings forth vegetation. And on day six, living creatures will live off the vegetation. So first God creates different environments. Then he creates the living creatures to populate those environments. And if I'm going to read from a book called um, Understanding the Scriptures. So, and it, and it briefly says, um, the first day creates time, second day space, and the third day life. How does God create time? Simple. Day one. Evening came, morning followed. God creates time. And this is something people don't really get. God has created time to the beginning and an end. That's why you say, I am the beginning and the end. People can't conceive of the end of time. But the scriptures and church tradition make it clear time has an end, the beginning and an end. Okay? Um, we could go into that another time. But for now, focusing on what God is doing. 
First day time, second day space, third day life. Fourth day, the rulers of time, which is in a sense the sun, the moon, the stars, to give us the days and the nights and the seasons. The fifth day, the rulers of space. So God created the sea and the and the, the, the animals to rule in the sea and the air, which are the birds and the fish. The sixth day, God creates the rulers of life. And this is very, very important for us to understand what's going to happen in Genesis 3. So, uh, Genesis 1 verse 26. And God's language changes here. God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion. Now, take that word dominion. It's very important. I'll come back to it in a minute. Dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So let's go back to dominion. Um, the word dominion is ruling authority. So think about it. God has created everything. And then he creates man in his image. And in effect, he hands creation over to man, who is the ruler of the world. He is the, the dominion. The dominion is given to the Lord. It is the Lord who has rule. And you might say, hold on, the Lord Jesus? No, the Lord Adam at this point. Adam is the world ruler. He has authority over all creation. God has given him dominion over all creation. Fish, birds, cattle, every creeping thing. So man has rule over life. And this is, this is appropriate because God has created in his image and he's created him to rule. To be, if you like, with the gods with a small g. God says to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth subdue it and again he repeat have dominion now if you remember the first session on the nine steps of a hebrew car ritual one of the key things of the ritual is to give a gift a handing over to the person you're in covenant with well this is what god is doing with adam he's handing over everything to adam god has if you like made a temple out of creation so creation is a temple to worship God. And Adam, the first man, and Adam in Hebrew means man, but it doesn't mean an impersonal man, it means an actual person. Adam is the high priest of this covenant. If you like, he is the mediator of the covenant, the first covenant, because he's the one who will go between God and man. And he has the dominion. God says to the first man, Behold, I give you every plant yielding seed which is upon the face of the earth, and every tree receiving fruit. You shall have them for food. To every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. We'll pick up on that in a bit. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything he had made. It was very good. That word very good is very important because in the New Testament, there's a rich young man who approaches Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's that effect? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. But here, God is saying his creation is good. Why? Because before the fall, creation reflected the glory of God. Everything in creation, everything he had done, revealed his glory. It's not the case now, but it was the case back then. So, chapter 2, verse The heavens and the earth were finished, all the hosts of them, and on the seventh day, God finished his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. So he blessed the seventh day. And hallowed it because on it God rested so <laughs> he rested he rested he rested and he blessed the seventh day notice that 
in Genesis chapter 1, when God is creating everything else, he hasn't blessed anything. He hasn't hallowed anything. The first thing God blesses and declares holy is the Shabbat, the Sabbath day. In our, in our world, the Sabbath, the Sabbath day runs from Friday evening around 5 p.m. to Saturday evening around 5 p.m. Why? Because in the Jewish world, the day begins, if you like, on the evening of the preceding day. Because in the Bible it says there was evening and there was morning the next day. So that's how Jews still rule their week. So the Sabbath day begins Friday evening and Saturday evening. And the first thing the first man has to do after he's been created is he has to rest. Because the Sabbath day isn't just an ordinary day. It's a covenant day. And it's the seventh day. And in Hebrew language, in Hebrew understanding, if they want to swear an oath, the phrase they would use is to seven themselves. Uh, that's the terminology. To seven oneself is the literal translation, but it's to swear an oath. And it's because the seventh day is the covenant day for them. And it's the crowning glory of creation. So, <clears throat> excuse me, just doing my thoughts a little bit there. Sorry about that. Um, I'm just going to move on, see if I can get time to squeeze in a little bit of the second account, okay? Um, I want to go to, let's see, verse, let's see, verse 7 of chapter 2. There's, there's, there's water welling up to water the ground, and it says, Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Once again, it might be totally different in your translation. But here, here's what it's saying in the original language, right? The Lord God formed man, in Hebrew, Adam, of dust from the ground, uh, dust, Adamah. So there's a play on words, formed Adam from Adamah, breathed, ruach, into his nostrils the Neshema Chaim. So there's two different words used for breath. Man became a living soul. So you have here, once again, um, a revelation. But this time, it's not a revelation of God. It's a revelation of us. The fact that God formed us from the dust, uh, and he breathed in his own breath, the Neshama Chaim, the breath of life, the Holy Spirit. And then man becomes a living being. And this is what distinguishes man from all the other creatures. The fact that we have got the breath of God in us. And it's the breath of God which makes us alive. So if we do not have the breath of God, we sense the walking dead. The breath, of, the breath of life is what makes us alive because life is isn't about just the physical material world life is essentially about communion of the soul with god now i'm going to pause there and uh, just hand back to eddie to hit the music and we can take a break for a moment here i am and thank you very much for that first part of your talk there on creation and we have a song here called so will i by hillsong worship and if any of our dear listeners would like to join in this intriguing conversation, this talk we're having today, and I do encourage that, the number to dial is 01223 375564. That's 01223 375564. We shall be back very shortly. With no point of you spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of light And as you speak A hundred billion galaxies are born In the vapor of your breath Stars were made to worship so loud. 
Welcome back to all our listeners. This is Radio Maria. And if you've just joined us, you're listening to Catechesis. And today we're very privileged and blessed to have our dear friend, Derek Williams, all the way from Walsingham, who's been continuing his talk, his series. And this is part two, and it's on creation. And I'd now like to invite Derek back to continue the second part. And if any of our listeners would like to join in the conversation, not right now because um, Derek's about to go on air, but 
uh, at an opportune moment, maybe in about another 15 minutes or so. The number to dial is 01223375564. Over to you, Derek. Thank you very much, Eddie. So just a little summarizing. So in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16, 17, God has created Adam as the ruler of the earth. He is the mediator and the high priest, and he's given him the covenant terms. The covenant terms are to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds. I give you every plant yielding seed, and he goes on. And these are the covenant terms that God gives to man. He's got one more term to give him, which is found in Genesis chapter 2. So we'll go from verse 15. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden, till it and keep it. So the Hebrew word for till it and keep it are the same ones used in the book of Exodus to describe the role of the priests in the temple. So if you like, Adam is working in the garden, he is performing the role of a priest in the garden. He's tilling it and he's keeping it. And the Lord God commanded the man, now, one more covenant term. You may freely eat every tree of the garden. That includes the tree of life. You can eat from the tree of life and live forever. Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. The day you eat of it, you shall die. And of course, at this point in time, Adam is created to live forever. He has immortality in his body. We can have a look at that as well in a moment. So the Lord God then says, not good that the man should be alone. I'll make a helper fit for him. And the Lord God forms every beast of the field and bird of the air, brings them to the man. Now, this is an important, this is a sign of man's dominion. God doesn't, doesn't name the animals. God brings them to the man who names the animals. And this is the same to this day. It might be a strange thing to say, but we have the naming rights to this day. And you might say, well, yeah, and? Well, there's several times in the sacred scriptures where God intervenes in that naming right. For example, he renamed Abraham, which we'll look at in a few weeks. He, uh, he names John the Baptist. And through the ministry of the angel Gabriel, he names the saviour of the world, Jesus. Jesus himself changes names, James Simon, to Peter. So there's a really important thing going here, which is to do with the exercising of dominion, the exercise of lordship. And Adam is the one who calls every living creature its name. Then the Lord God calls a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he takes one of his ribs, closes up his place with flesh, and the rib he makes into one brings it to the man. The man says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And what does Adam do? She shall be called woman. So he named her because she was taken out of man. Then we have the marriage covenant. Genesis 2.24 Therefore a man leaves his father and his mother, clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. I want to point this out to you because this is what Jesus did. So it says, if you read it in the Hebrew, it would say, therefore, Adam leaves his father and his mother. And Jesus comes a new Adam. He leaves his heavenly father. And at the wedding of Cana, he leaves his earthly mother. And at the end of the wedding feast of Cana, it says, his disciples began to believe in him. The word for believe, pistis in Hebrew, can mean to cling to. So he and his disciples began to cling to each other because, don't forget, his bride is the church. They become one flesh. When did they become one flesh? The Last Supper. This is my flesh of the new covenant. And they ate the flesh of Christ at the Last Supper, the first one flesh union between Christ and his church. And we must, those of us who receive communion, have a one flesh union with Christ and a spiritual union with Christ. Very important to get that one. The man and his wife are both naked and were not ashamed. Now, I'm going to go on verse, this chapter 3. Um, 
Let's just keeping in my time because I want to make sure there's room for callers if there's any callers coming through. But I'd like to see if we can get through the fall of man because the covenant is going to be broken. So we'll see if we can quickly look at the fall of man and then we'll take another little break. So the serpent, the serpent, who is a serpent? This is the fallen um, angel known as Lucifer before the fall, but now known as Satan. Okay. And he is more subtle than any other wild creature. And he says to the woman, he approaches the woman. Did God say you should not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman says to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees. But God said, you should not eat of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Well, this isn't what God said. God said, you shall not eat it. You can touch it all you like. And this is where we have to get our faith right. Because if we do not understand our faith, and get it and understand it, then when we try to explain it, people can actually undermine our arguments. So Eve in warfare with the devil, um, she's saying, I can't even touch it. The serpent says, actually, you won't die. And the serpent is correct. She won't die to touch it. Then he twists the tooth, the fire of lies, as Jesus calls it. Gardens, when you eat it, eyes will be opened. But Adam and Eve are in a state of grace, sinless in a state of sanctifying grace so they have everything they need but they want more they want to be more like god even though they are like god, good and evil so they take the fruit now this is what sin looks like the woman saw the tree was good for food delight the eyes to be desired and sin can be like that. I mean, if sin wasn't nice people wouldn't do it <laughs> you know when i say nice i mean in terms of to, it, it draws us in um, but that's what it's like the first thing was the same note that he, she gave some to her husband who was with her so the entire time the woman is tempted Adam is observing it and he's not intervening even though he has he is the lord of the world and the high priest and it's Adam's role at this point to lay down his life for his bride because that's the covenant relationship. But Adam fails to do that. And this is the crime of the fall. It's not the, what the woman did. It's what the man fails to do. So the boys them both open. They knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Fig leaves are all fine in the spring and the summer. But they get a bit awkward in the fall. <laughs> so they need something a bit more suitable to keep themselves covered. Um, now, I'm going to go on to the rest um, in, in a bit. I'm going to break there. I want to see if there's any callers and bring a musical break. And then if there's no callers, then I'll finish the narrative. But otherwise, we'll take questions because the fall is a really, really important part of our theology. Great. And I really want to make help see if there's any questions coming through. All right. This one is for King and Country by the Pioneers. And once more, if you'd like to... Phone in and ask Derek a question. The number is 01223 375564. Out of touch, out of reach in the great divide 
This is Radio Maria. You're listening to Catechesis. It's now 20 minutes to five o'clock this afternoon on this Tuesday, the 30th of August 2022. And you've been listening to a very interesting talk by our dear friend and collaborator, Derek Williams, who's been speaking today on creation. That's right, Genesis. And a very interesting talk it's been. And I'm very happy to say we have a caller who's phoned in. It's another good friend of Radio Maria. It's Sarah Sykes. Hello, Sarah. Hi, Eddie. How are you? You're well? Yes, I'm fine. Thank you. Okay, good. Well, you're on the line, on air, live with Derek to ask your question. Hi, Hi Derek. Sarah. Hello. So um, I, I, I'm afraid I missed the first 10 minutes or so the program. So I'm kind of coming in a little bit late. Uh, and um, I've kind of got two questions. Um, I'll go mm-hmm. with the first one connected with the um, Adam and Eve story that you were just talking about. And, and that mm-hmm. was that um, you were saying that you, you think that Adam was there when Eve was tempted. Um, but I always um, imagine, and I don't know if this is just from popular culture and films and things, but um, Adam turns up later after Eve has been tempted and she sort of says, oh, look, I've got this, you know, give it a try. <laughs> and, and, and he's sort of oblivious to what he's being given. But you, you, mm-hmm. you kind of implied there that he wasn't oblivious. He saw everything that was happening. He saw what the temptation was and still went ahead with it anyway. So which is it? Is it what you're saying that, you know, he really understood what he was doing or he was kind of, you know, tricked into it. He didn't really know what was happening. And he, because they, they, doesn't he say something like, what have you done? What have you given me? As though he didn't know what, what was happening. Yeah. Well, first of all, the, yeah. So the, the narrative actually reads, um, she took some of its fruit and dated and she also gave to her, some to her husband. He ate. Now, in the in the church tradition, this is the sin of Adam. It's not called the sin of Eve for a reason, and the reason why it's called the sin of Adam is because God, Adam, was given the original instruction not to eat, and his, Adam's role um, after the creation of Eve to instruct his wife and teach her, and he obviously did, but he actually said to her not to eat, not even to touch it. Um, but he's it's his the, the responsibility. 
rules on. He sees the incident happening. He takes no action to prevent it. And even afterwards, when uh, when God is walking in the garden, um, Adam blames Eve, and then Eve blames the serpent. So Adam knows exactly what's going on, and he's just shifting the blame, which is what happens when we sin. We can actually do it ourselves. We can actually go into confession and blaming other people, um, whereas what God wants is he wants us to recognize our culpability, just the same as the original man. So original sin is the sin of Adam. It's not, the sin of, it's not called the sin of Eve. It's called the sin mm. of Adam, even okay. though Eve had the dialogue, you know. Uh, or, or it's always sort of portrayed that it's the woman's fault, isn't it? Often, and um, we have well, we have this turnaround with Our Lady because Our Lady listens to the angel and conceives Jesus and brings life into the world, whereas Eve did the opposite. She brought death into the world through her cooperation with with the fallen serpent. But uh, there's no fall happens until Adam sins, and in fact, the fall doesn't actually happen at the eating of the fruit. The fall really happens when they're dialoguing with God and when they refuse to repent of their sins. God gives an opportunity for them to repent and it's the lack of repentance that causes the fall. Okay. There you yeah. go. All right. You had two, say, two questions though, Sarah. Yeah, so the other thing that I was going to ask is, and you may have sort of covered this in the first 10 minutes of the program, uh, how does this relate to um, the sort of theme of covenant? Okay, so um, I, I've been talking, it's, it's, um, the language in Genesis chapter 1 is a little bit veiled in respect of covenant uh, because you have uh, the creation as a, as, a, as a temple in which to worship. You have Adam as the mediator of the covenant and the high priest. Um, and you have, um, you have, oh, I'm trying to think now, my head's gone slightly blank. You have the covenant relationship between Adam and Eve, who have the first marriage. Right, yeah. After the fall takes place, which is something I was going to come to in a moment, um, God makes them, uh, they're wearing fig leaves, God gives them animal skins, which implies the shedding of blood, okay? But you also have the Sabbath day, which is the covenant day. So it's implied. In Genesis chapter 1, it's implied. And in fact, there's a bit of a division among theologians because some theologians say, yes, there is a covenant creation. Others say there can't be a covenant until after the fall because a covenant is a means of redemption. So you have this little bit of division among theologians. But I was just drawing on the beauty of the creation covenant. Um, when we go to next week, in a few weeks, we'll look at the covenant with Noah and things will become much more clear in respect of the actual covenant. Yes, yeah, I can see where it will come in with Noah and the sort of the placing of the rainbow in the sky and all that kind of thing. Indeed, yes. Yeah, yeah. And then when, was, when we get to Abraham, it becomes very exciting because it really unfolds when we get to Abraham. Okay. <laughs> Great. Super. It, yeah. Thank you very much, Sarah. I hope that was thank helpful. You. Yes, thanks. Thank you, Sarah. Lovely to hear you. Thank you, and thank you for the podcast. I managed to catch up for last week's um, by listening to the podcast. That was great to hear that. Great. Well, there'll be more to come. Great. All thank right. you. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye now. Derek, I have a question. So, if, if I may be so bold, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> the question is, is um, a lot of people um, within and outside uh, of the faith struggle to understand why human beings thousands and thousands of years later still have to pay for the sin of Adam and Eve collectively that uh, why mm-hmm. why are we still in this position that we still have to pay for the uh, eating of the apple and the uh, the non-repentance of them when it wasn't us who did it directly so we've got this sort of inherited yeah. sin so the sin of Adam, the sin of what we call in in my in the catechism, the sin of our first parents. So Adam was put to the test, uh, tried. God let permitted him this because of free choice, free will, and free will isn't free will if there's no if there's no um, area for us to be free in. So Adam has to be tried in terms of you're going to eat from the tree of life or you're going to eat from the tree of death. And he chooses a tree of life. The consequence of that is the first parent falls. 
which means that all generations coming from him suffer from the effect of that first fall. And then Paul writes about this in his letter to the Romans. He says, just as in one man we all sin, so in one man, which is Jesus Christ, we all come to life. Right, like the new Adam, yeah? So Adam, that's right. So Adam's first sin causes death, not just to come upon man, not just to come upon human beings, the whole of creation, the whole universe, not just the earth, the entire universe is, is brought under decay by the sin of Adam. Now, we could explain that uh, uh, as we go on because we need to look at how Adam no longer is the mediator of the covenant because of sin, but Satan now takes over the lordship. And the whole of creation, well, for example, the earth, you know, in the New Testament, it says the evil one is the prince of this world. And right. the whole of creation is suffering from his dominion. So the whole of creation is decaying, not, ju not just original sin in us. The whole of creation is affected. Got it. Right. I understand the, uh, Good. the severity of it. Absolutely. Right. Yes. And what's your, um, again, playing devil's advocate, what's your... Uh, come back what's your justification when people would maybe come over to you when you're giving talks on the on genesis that uh adam and eve didn't really exist there's just a, a metaphor for um a broken man what's your uh, answer to that okay so um for two thousand years the church has taught the reality of adam and eve as our first parents and it's not just because um, it's in the sacred scripture that's important mm -hmm. but it's also because it's a divinely revealed truth and it gives us the foundations of the dogma of original sin the dogma of original sin is a divinely revealed teaching of the church which teaches us that our first parents two individuals adam and eve fell and if we if we strip that away which um in the 1950s there was a group in the church who tried to do this with pope Pius the 12th they wanted him to re uh, rethink the dogma of original sin and pope Pius the 12th issued a document called human i generis mm -hmm. where he um re-emphasized the um the sin of adam and how it was two individuals. The, the teaching at the time, the people at the time were trying to make it out to be two tribes. And there's a, there's a heresy, I can't remember the name of the heresy now, but the, there was a heresy about it, that this isn't an individual, this is a tribe. And the, and the Pope Pius XII was saying, no, it is the sin of an individual, it is the sin of Adam. And if we change that, which is a divinely revealed truth, then it impacts the redemption. Because Paul makes it clear in one man all die, in one man all come to life. I see, I see. So, so it, it's got to be an individual, it's mm. got to be a man. And mm -hmm. the, 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 the justification for it is um, the Hebrew word for Adam is man. But what they fail to realize is that this is the same throughout the Old Testament. The Hebrew names all mean something. So just because Adam means man, it doesn't mean he wasn't an individual. He was. I see. I see. Okay, well, there you have it. And who was that Pope again who reiterated the uh, the doctrine of original sin in the 50s, did you say? Pope Pius XII. Okay, so it's not, a million, us... it's not a million years ago, is it? No, no, but in fact, in fact, in his, in, his, in his declarations, he stated that if Adam had not sinned, he would still be alive today, which again, that truth. Mm-hmm. I understand. Um, and he also gave us the dogma of the assumption. So Pope, interestingly enough, actually gave us an infallible dogma. So he actually sat on the seat of St. Peter and gave us his exercise, his infallibility. So that's an interesting one. Well, there you go. There you go. That's a very interesting yeah. uh, point. I didn't, I didn't know that, that uh, that was reiterated so recently in the 1950s. The, uh, the, I knew the one of... Um, the Immaculate Conception, but I didn't know about the uh, the dogma, the doctrine of uh, original sin. Great. It's now almost 5-2. What's your talk next week on? Well, I think we're going to have to carry on working through um, Genesis chapter 3, taking a little bit more of a look at the fall, which we're getting through, because there's a very important scripture called the Proto-Evangelium, which we need to look at. Okay. So, Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel. And then I'm going to take you through the descendants of Adam and Eve and, and leading up to 
the flood with Noah. There's some very interesting scriptures. I'll give you a little, um, let me give the listeners a little, um, as it were, advertisement, a little tidbit to chew yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. Just um, something, to, something to wet our beak for in, next week. Yeah. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, it says, it's, sorry, verse 4, it says, The Nephilim were on the earth in those days when the sons of God came to the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Now, there is a lot of discussion out in the, nether, in the internet about who were the Nephilim? Who were the sons of God? Mm. We've even said these are aliens or these are fallen angels. Right. Nothing could be further from the truth. Next week, I'll give you a full explanation which makes perfect sense using the original Hebrew words. Wow, great. Well, I very much look forward to it. So same time, same place next week. Yeah, you here. Don't, don't miss it. Don't <laughs> miss it, folks. Don't miss it. There's podcasts and repeats are great, but there's nothing like a live program, and that's what Radio Maria is all about. So, could I ask you to end this perhaps with a prayer? Oh, okay, fair enough. So, in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the beauty of your Word. We thank you for the beauty of the divine revelation you give us. We thank you, dear Mother Mary, for the graces you give us that as we hear the word of God, it can stir in us the beautiful fire that can kindle within our heart. And so I ask you, dearest Mother Mary, that in the today, you give them rest in their hearts. You set their hearts afire with a beautiful, gentle flame of your love. I ask Lord Jesus to reveal to your listeners by your mercy. But even at the time of the fall, when man was turning away from you, you were speaking to his life to rescue him from the destruction he caused. And we thank you, Heavenly Father. You are creator of all things and recreate us all the time with new you in Jesus' name. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son. And the Son and the Holy Spirit. Great. It was uh, lovely to spend the afternoon with you here, Derek, and uh, very much look forward to hearing part three of these uh, of these talks, which will be same time, same place. You are an inexhaustible fount of information and knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Eddie. Bless you. And God bless your listeners. I hope they're enjoying the journey. I think they are. I think they are. All right. <laughs> well, you take care and uh, I'll be here okay, next uh, next Tuesday to welcome you and um, do this all again. Mm. Superb. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.